welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the favorite jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, arranger, and trumpet player from Los Angeles, California, Jeremy Pelt. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have one of my favorite trumpet players in the scene, Jeremy Pelt, with us. Sir, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, can you give a short intro about yourself and then we get right into it? I'm Jeremy Pelt, number trumpet player, composer, and author. That works for me. <laughs> well, sir, one of the first things I definitely have to ask you is you got to play with Bobby Bland. Mm -hmm. That is one of my favorite blues artists. I His album, Dreamer, I literally have it on my favorites. I listen to it at least once a week, sadly. It's mm -hmm. that much stuff to me. How was it with him? That's a good I've never, nobody's ever asked me about Bobby Blue Bland. That's, that's great that you asked. Um, <clears throat> you know, Bobby... I, I, so let me just tell you the situation, what it was, because mm -hmm. I wouldn't profess to say, you know, I play with him with, in the same manner that I would say that I play with a lot of people that I actually uh, had relationships with. Um, there was a trombone player, he's still around, named Robert Trowers, who I met uh, earlier on uh, when I first got to town. And he... Um, he was uh, like a, like like a few people were very instrumental in in getting me some work, and uh, and have me fill in for things. And so he was a mainstay in Bobby Blue Bland's band, and I guess they were looking for a trumpet player. And Robert was like, "Hey man, do this gig." So I did two gigs with Bobby Blue Bland. One, the first one was in Philly, and the second one was in uh, Long Island, and. Uh, you know, what I remember about, you know, Bobby was, you know, so the, the juxtaposition is that, you know, I'm, I'm 21, 22 years old and Bobby Bland is, you know, legendary as always. And, you know, the age that he was, he might've been a good 60, you know, some odd years old at that point. And, uh, it was this the things surrounding the gig were funny because I was hired to do the gig, but all I knew was that it was in Philly, and it was like one of those 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 kind of things that you sometimes you read about in jazz lore where it's like, oh yeah, well if you want to do the gig, you better get out here, and it's like, well where is here, and then nobody says anything, and then you had to do all the research, you know, of which there was no the internet wasn't as as quick as it is now. So I had to get on a on a the next train running, you know, with the 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 few dollars that I had. I think I took New Jersey Transit to like Trenton, and then took a a, a, a train, a local Philly train from Trenton to Philly, and then grabbed like a, a, the Philadelphia version of of the Village Voice, and scoured the entertainment pages to see where Bobby Blue Bland was playing. Found out where he was playing, and then got there. And and showed up, and Bobby Blue Bland had a manager that looked just like Suge Knight. He was huge, 
and he was just as surly and just as mean. <laughs> and, you know, which I was completely um, intimidated because both both him and and Bobby would, you know, two big, mean, intimidating looking people. Um, so I didn't really, you know, I went straight to, you know, where the horns were, you know, backstage and, you know, they just gave me some pointers of what to do. You know, they'd come up with these little riffs to play behind him. Um, so I didn't really get to have much too much. I, tr- truth be told, I didn't have too much of a conversation with Bobby either time okay. because he would always be in another dressing room and then I'd see him when we were on stage. And um, when we got on stage, again, I wasn't hip at, at 22 years old. So I wasn't hip enough. I'd, I'd heard of Bobby Blue Bland, um, but I didn't know his catalog like that, nor was I really interested in playing anything else at that point except for straight-ahead jazz. That was like my whole world that I ac- occupied. Um, so, you know, I was I was ignorant to, to a lot of things, a lot of experiences that I had earlier on. Um, what I do remember um, to this day is the how mesmerizing he was to the audience. You know, I mean, the people that were there to see him, I mean, he put on a show and, and his singing was what it was. It was it was great. Um, he, he did all his hits, you know, and sometimes I'd get a little solo or whatnot. But I mean, that was pretty much the experience both times. Um and then you know you look back on it hindsight being 2020 you know how how great you know this 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 entertainer was and, you know now i've got his records here and i listen to him all the time and i'm just like sometimes you you look at it and it's not that i necessarily want a, a repeat or a do over but it's just you know you look back somehow I look back on it and as as proud as I am that I got the chance to play with him, you know, I'm kind of equally uh, lamenting the fact that I, I wasn't as hip um, at that time. Understood. Well, I can honestly say I'm jealous of you. <laughs> it, yeah, whatever. But yeah, I, I'm one of those people. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. Let's actually talk about some of your, at least your last two so- singles that I know about. I mean, there's an al- there are two albums and a single, okay? You got the mm-hmm. I Love Music single. I loved it. It's one of those, like, my coffee albums. Like, I have a whole playlist just of coffee songs that I listen to in the morning. That's one of them that's always on repeat. Mm-hmm. The Art of Intimacy album. How many more of those are you going to do? I'm just curious. Because I love the first one. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, it, it's 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 obvious that when I did the first one, I had it in mind to do the second one. So that's why I called it volume one. Um, and as you uh, might have noticed right now on Spotify, they just released one of the singles from the upcoming volume two. Um, I, you know, I don't know how many I would want to do, you know, but you know, the, the good thing about it is that just because they are volumes doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be in in rapid succession. You know what I mean? So I could I could I could do volume two and then be you know cool doing a good three or four records of other music in between that and then say all right you know what I'm going to come up with Art of Intimacy Volume th- Three and that might be something you know 
six years down the line. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just like one of those cherished moments while you're in it right now. I mean, I'm very excited that the volume two is coming out. It made a lot of sense. I mean, I think one of the things that accompanies the general um, idea of it being released um, this year is that 20 years ago, I released Close to My Heart, which was my first uh, ballads record with strings. And so this year being 2023, I'm doing my second ballads record with strings. And I think that's, you know, there's, there's a, you know, uh, a vibe with that, and I think it's 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 cool that that's happening. So I'm excited about it. But you know, I don't necessarily l- plan too far in the future in terms of when I'll do, you know, and uh, art of you know, volume three or volume four. I just kind of do it whenever it it hits me. Okay, good. Regardless, I'm looking forward towards volume two. <laughs> yeah. I did get I did get to hear. I can't escape from you. I also love it. I'm looking forward towards that whole set. Hopefully it's one of those where I could sit down once again, listen to it from the front to the end and not even worry about it. If you get what I mean, you get entranced in it. Yes. (laughs) And then I want to ask you about heavy hitters. How did that come up? I was called. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, that's, that's something where I was very much just a hired side man. Um, Mike Ladon, it's 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 essentially what's what's not really, I guess, expressed in an obvious way, is that it's a it's a co-leaders date between Mike Ladon and Eric Alexander, and they uh, decided to do this and um, with with uh, somebody that that backed, you know, financially backed the record before they uh, leased it to uh, Sell Alive. They decided to do it, and the person said, "Yeah, why don't you make you know this a a sextet and this and that?" And um, and so they just called who they thought would be a good addition to it, and so that's how myself and Vincent and Peter and 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 Kenny got on the date. Okay, that's not as romantic of a story I was expecting, but I. <laughs> yes. yeah, I'm sorry. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's just like that. Sometimes it's just you know. Here it is. <laughs> no, no, I like it though, because it's straight ahead, heavy. You have your moments in it. Eric has his moments in it. So does Mike. I mean, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was hoping for something more romantic on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's cool, man. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, for what it's worth, you know, in saying all that I said, it's 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 definitely worth mentioning that we've all played together. Um, for many years before in whatever con- configuration. So it wasn't, so when I, when, I guess, you know, I, I didn't probably explain it as clearly as the fact is that we all have a love for each other and, and for each other's playing. So, you know, when Mike and Eric decided to call us, it wasn't, you know, a blind call. It was something that there was some thought behind it about who they wanted, you know, to be on the date because of the, you know, the love for our playing. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it there, there is some kind of a, a, a brotherhood, you know, a kinship that, that it, it is on the date itself. 
So I don't make I don't mean to make it seem like it was it was trite or you no, know. I, I didn't take it that way, but it is good to know that you guys played together because that means it yeah. just clicks naturally because you know sure. what to expect from everybody in the rhythm section, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is also pretty cool. <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to ask you about because you bought you said it earlier when we were talking about Bobby, Mister Bobby Bland was mm-hmm. you said you were more focused on playing straight ahead. Now, do you think that's always or mainly a problem when you see newer cats come into New York City trying to make it as an artist? Um, uh, explain. Do I think what is the problem that like they they're are, so focused on playing jazz or music a certain way that they are missing out on certain opportunities or don't save your certain moments? Because, like, I would have killed to be that far away from Mr. Bobby Bland, right? Or do you think that's just like it is what it is? Uh, I, well, you know, I think that when you are a certain age, right, and you 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 have found something that you really really love to the core. So, I mean, picture the fact that okay, at twenty two years old, I, I, it was either yeah, it was twenty two years old. Um, Realistically speaking, I had my my love for jazz in the in the way straight ahead had bloomed within uh I would say six years. You know what I mean? Um so it's 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 um uh, it's not a long time. So so you so I'm still in that kind of euphoric state of wow this is really what i want to do it's kind of like a dream you know to be able to pursue it you know just six years in um and so you know looking at it from that point of view and maybe and not maybe a little bit longer than six years but still under 10 years um so going to to new york and and moving to the scene you're in hot pursuit of this this music that you can't uh shake you know you you really want to be a part of it and you'll stop at nothing to do it and that is your life especially when you you really you know in my case especially when i really got into it i put my all into it um to you know where i had blinders on either side of my eyes because i was just going for the prize and i think that I don't know that the same thing happens these days um, with uh, the youthful musicians that come up now. And I think that in itself is a good thing um, uh, to a certain degree. I I think that technology and social media and all that have a big part to play in the dissemination of of music and, and, and various types that are at your fingertips in a way that it didn't exist um when i was you know 16 17 18 years old you know what i mean so back then it was really primarily this one thing that i wanted to do whereas now cats are coming up have a more global view of things and and could and could be influenced um multi-directionally Okay. Uh, has the internet done that for you recently? Is there anything that you heard recently that you would like to try? Um, 
I wouldn't say that it's the internet. Okay. Not, not at all. I mean, I think that I've traveled enough over a long period of time, over decades of time, where I've I've been able to be affected by certain things um, that I've seen or heard in a way that would make me want to infuse it. Could you give me one example? Well, art is 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 one big example, and um, and and trying to match the art that I see with the time that it was created. And 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 see, you know, and, and think about what the artist might have been listening to to create their pieces and how, you know, I perceive of something that has been created uh in some cases centuries before I was born. You know, I mean it's it's that's that's a great example of it. Okay. Uh, another thing I always like to ask people that have been in the scene longer is, do you think playing with elders helps you more develop your sound or actually hurts yourself? Well, developing your sound has nothing that 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 that's independent of playing with elders. That that has nothing to do with playing your el- uh, with elders. Developing your sound is just you, you know the key word is developing, right? Because you already have your sound. Um, when you start playing, you already have your sound, but it's de- the the development comes in in living itself and and keeping on playing and in at, at a at a steady uh, pace of playing. That's that's how your sound develops. You know what I mean? I don't think that anybody sounds and 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 you know what what I say is is easily traceable on any record from any one of your heroes that you'll listen to. You can listen to Lee Morgan in 1957, and at the core of things, he still sounds tone, you know, timbre-wise, tone-wise, the same way he did in 1957 as the, the same, you know, as 1971. But within that that span of time, um, you know, 15 years, there, there was some soul searching. There was some. There was. There were a lot of circumstances which went to to kind of um, shape his sound. You know, same thing you could say for Freddie Hubbard. Same thing you say for Kenny Dorham. You know, for Dizzy. Every anybody. Miles. You know. So, but you you have your sound. It's already in you. It's just now the development aspect of it is life itself. Okay. Uh, was but, there, but, but, but to your, your your question about playing with elders um, in a in a different capacity with sound not being the uh, the the topic, I would say that playing with the elders is a very indispensable part of this music. Okay, was there any one of them that stood out the most to you? I think they all had different uh qualities uh that that um that contributed to the way you think. So I mean I you know, every, every one of them was a standout, whether it was Roy Haynes, whether it was Jimmy Heath, whether it's Lewis Hayes, whether it's Jimmy Cobb, you know, whether it's Tootie, you know, Cedar. There was the all types of, of properties to to all their contributions that seeped into how I how I react and how I play and how I think sometimes. Okay. Uh, Mr. Louis Hayes did come on the show at one point. 
do you have any stories or interesting conversations you two have that you're willing to share? <laughs> he said that I'm willing to share. Uh, that's 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 the, that's the key phrase. Um, <laughs> you know, you can imagine that. You know, this is this being 2023. I'm now officially 23 years of playing with Lewis Hayes, um, and that is one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. And I cherish it all the time. I've got plenty of stories. Um, Going to that, share one? But I'll tell you one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no I'll, tell, I'll tell you one, because it just came to me. You know, and this is, this is the power of the music, man. You know, I remember, I can't remember what year it was. I'm always bad with, with some years. So everything just really boils down to either 10, 15, or 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, but um, we were doing, David Weiss, who's a trumpet player and a band leader and a, an arranger and composer, put together this this concept uh well not a concept it wasn't his concept he put together uh, a celebratory band to celebrate the music of art blakey's disc golden boy and that disc was a mini um i guess it was it was more of a a, a mini big band so it had like bill butterfield on tuba i think it had cedar walton it had Lee Morgan, and it had Freddie Hubbard, it had Wayne Shorter, James Spaulding, you know, Curtis Fuller, and Reggie Workman. And that, so David put together a band of that same instrumentation to play at the Iridium. And we did four days at the Iridium, as I recall. And Mogru was still alive, so that's how long ago it was. Mogru Miller was on piano that time, and so was Curtis Fuller. Um, as a special guest with us. And Lewis Hayes was on drums for those those four days. And we were playing as an encore, we were gonna do Arabia, Curtis Fuller's Arabia, and which was not on that specific record, but we did it as an encore and to feature, you know, one of Curtis's, you know, most classic songs. And I remember one one of the days um, Stephen Scott uh, subbed for for Mulgrew, and the way that we got into uh, into Arabia wasn't even a count off. It was Stephen Scott was setting some kind of rhythmic type of thing between the two chords. It's you know, and I'm trying to paint this picture for you in a, in a sonic way. Um, but it won't come come off, so you just have to rely on my excitement. No, it's cool. <laughs> he was he was doing this he was doing this kind of rhythmic thing, and then all of a sudden, if you know Lewis Hayes, you know he takes no prisoners. That's the thing that most young drummers I want them to always go and experience Lewis Hayes in particular because you know sometimes even with the older cats. You know, the press is unkind until they reach the, the very end of their life. And then they want to start celebrating cats. You know what I'm saying? So Lewis had a vast career besides Cannibal Adderley. 
you know, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, even Tony Williams was going to Lewis, Lewis Hayes and, and practicing with him. And there was a, a fair amount of Lewis Hayes's uh, symbol, you know, beat that, you know, Tony took from Lewis, you know what I mean? And Billy Hart, you know, said the same thing about Lewis. He used to go out, hang with, you know, so Lewis was very important and, and he really has not gotten his flowers, even though he's a, NEA jazz master, which is a great thing, but still not a lot of people are hip to him in the way that they should be. But so getting back to the story, when he came back in, when, when he came in to set up the whole band, he made this fill that was so completely Lewis that in just two hits of the drum, it encapsulated the reason why I love this music so much and feel so fortunate to be up on that stage. I mean, it was it was so powerful and so majestic and and so swinging from the very first hit. It it wasn't sometimes people take a minute to get into the swing, you know, no, this was hitting from the very first hit. It's like skidoon can. When he hit that, it was the whole band just went sailing. And that was, you know, and and I'd felt that moment before because, I mean, at that point, I'd been playing with Lewis for, you know, 10, 13 years. So it wasn't unfamiliar with me, but in a different capacity, you know, because I'm playing the music Cannibal Adderley with Lewis and then some other things. But this is also Lewis paying his own tribute to somebody that he looked up to, which is Art Blakey. <laughs> So it was interesting to take because he wasn't trying to sound like Art Blakey, but he knew the code. And that's a special thing. Nice. <laughs> okay, man. I mean, when it's someone like you who got to play with so many greats in so many different bands, is this, is there anything that you wish you could capture or like put together? If you had your own dream band, are you willing to say who you would have in it and what type of music you would play? I mean, truth be told, man, I've, I've played with most of the cats that I've come to, you know, come to New York to play with. There's only been a few cats that I'm very mad that I miss, Elvin being one of them. Um, I saw Elvin, but I didn't get a chance to play with him. Um... Otherwise, man, you know, I never think on those terms like a dream band. If I can have a dream band of this, and I, I never do. So, I mean, I really don't have an answer for you on that one. You know what I mean? I mean, I've I've I played with enough cats to to have had the the beautiful experience and and have that in 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 my heart and in my mel in in my memory. And that's that's really all I could hope for. I can't. I'd, I'd never think about putting together a dream band. My dream band is whatever band I'm working with now. So my own quintet, which is not full of any legends, <laughs> they're young people, is my dream band. <laughs> you know. Well, they're swinging hard, and I love their stuff, so I can't knock them for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you think? the jazz scene would be like in 10 years? Well, I think that a lot of what is, is uh, 
In 10 years' time, it, that's a deeper question than I think you might even realize because I think that a lot of it has nothing to do with music. You know what I mean? It. I think that a lot of it is dictated by so many other uh, resources, um, to where I don't. I don't necessarily think that music is um, the thing that's going to create a shift. So much as it might be fashion, it might be a whole lot of other things that 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 have to do with what ultimately gets put out sonically. You know, I mean, we're in an age now where we're talking about AI and all this type of stuff. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of artificial intelligence playing this music. If it does, then that's just I'll try to move to the moon or something. But otherwise, you know, there's there's a lot of other influences that go into the music that that will create a shift. And I don't know, you know, sonically or texturally what that could sound like. Okay. I think that whatever happens, groove is uh, a groove is has to be at the base of it. You know what I mean? Because now we're talking about black music and black music is about groove. And in order for there to be any kind of relation to the human aesthetic, you have to have something that still remains foundational um about the music and that is the groove that can't be that can't be uh uh you know that can't be broken i think in 10 years the people that are still doing things that are far out will still do things that are far out and i think the people that are still um that 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 are doing you know, further groove based like in a hip hop way or in an R and B ish type of way, will still continue to do that. And you know, whatever they're doing will move with the trends of of what is 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 being produced um, across uh, the boundaries of genre. And I think those that are still trying to swing and out here swing, uh, if they take it seriously enough, will keep on swinging and keep the feel the good feeling going. Okay. Can't argue with that. Just always like to ask people their take. Do you think there's anything that the newer generation is lacking? Uh, you know, I've asked those questions myself in my books. And uh, I think a lot of, of, of uh, how I think or I used to think in the, in the past it's starting to kind of change over because if you start to think about things as, as it pertains to what is lacking, then you start to adopt an attitude that isn't really conducive or helpful to the scene. You know what I mean? The best thing that I could do and most people could do is be the best examples of, of themselves and representations of their music. And whatever 
I, you know, there, there are things that I want to put out in, in my playing and in, in my, in my basic oeuvre of, of, of music that I feel like I do so very well. And those that, that pick up on it, pick up on it. And those that don't, well, sometimes it might take a while, if not at all. Um, but I think that the younger generation, there are some people that, you know, um, really encapsulate all that there is to love about the music. And then I think there's some that uh, miss the mark and it's always going to be like that. But, um, you know, it's, I don't know that at this point, you know, in, in my thought process that I feel like saying, you know, well, they're missing that because it's a general statement. It's, it's, it's so general that, you know, I can't really qualify it. You know what I mean? Enough yes. for it to, to be a blanket statement. You know, oh, I think they, they're they missing, you know, the, the swing. Because it's not, you know, altogether true. I teach at college. You know what I mean? And I see two types of musicians, you know, young musicians coming up. I, I see those that have the fervor and the 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 lust for trying to get as much of this music together and really working hard at it. And then I see those that don't get it and, and are really just trying to go uh, the, 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 the super fast route. And, you know, all that will come to pass when it's time. That's fair. <laughs> Much deeper than I thought. <laughs> and two more questions and I'll let you go sir because I know we had to set rearrange this and set it up like three different times because of scheduling issues there's no problem it says your time is going down to f up below five minutes I don't know if you want to re-up oh actually yes let's re-up hold on a second <laughs> okay well yes sir so One other question I want to ask is, what do people misunderstand about just the music world in general, if not just the jazz world? Well, those are two separate things because there's misunderstanding on, on huge misunderstanding in both, uh, both, uh, both concepts, you know, of the music business, the music world. In the jazz business, uh, you know, um, I think that I think one of the main misconceptions about the music world is that people, musicians don't work as hard as, as, you know, they do. So, and, 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 and also understanding the nature of work that, that seems like it should just be vacation. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, I was married for a few years, and one of the biggest sources of contention was, 
you know, when I would get back home and from like lengthy flights and, you know, be expected to be doing housework when I got back home. <laughs> and, you know, and in another occurrence, I remember, you know, even further back, way before I was married, I had a girlfriend. And actually, this is one of the first times that I really came to this thought because I had a girlfriend who came on the road with me for a little less than a week. She came out and we were moving. We were on one of those tours where it was like a different town every day. And it was separated by six, you know, between four and eight hour drives every day. Now she comes on the road and she's in the van and all that. And, you know, we get to, to the destination. And at this point, you know, you have time to just maybe take a shower, maybe get unpacked for a second, you know, iron your suit and then go to sound check and then have whatever dinner and then go on the stage and then get, you know, that's the tour life. Meanwhile, she want to go to this museum. She want to go over here. She want to go, you know, sightseeing. And she was getting frustrated because I didn't want to do it because I'm too tired. <laughs> What's one of the most, you know, the common misconceptions is that, you know, they see us on the stage or we're seen on stage and we get to just have fun for a living. And Certainly part of that is true, but I'm sure you've seen a diagram of, uh, you know, like I remember seeing some kind of poster where it showed like, you know, an iceberg on the top of the water. Right. And then it shows below the water how deep that iceberg goes. You know what I mean? How many levels it really is, but all on, but all you see on the top of the water is this iceberg, and that's kind of what it, what it's, what it, the, the the music is like. You know, you see all the spoils, you see all the pictures that are taken of us while we're on stage and we're performing and we're having a great time and everybody's smiling and the music is grooving and swinging and whatnot. But what you don't see is beneath all that the work that it takes just for that. You know those. 75 to 90 minutes on a stage. You know what I mean? And that that's that's all around. How many you know what I mean? You could you could be even the biggest rock star and there's still something very taxing about about the production of music that goes beyond just, you know, writing lyrics or what have you. No, I agree. How many cities were you doing in that week or did you go to? When she was there, probably did like five. Yeah, that probably drove her crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the touring life. A lot of people, a lot of artists that I know hate it. And then one yeah. of my first guests was Steve Perry from the Sugar Poppin' Daddies, mm -hmm. and he had a top forty hit at the time. And he told mm -hmm. me like he was doing two hundred to two hundred fifty shows those two years after that song came out. Mm -hmm. I never been on the road that much, but that was been torture. <laughs> and 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 I'll, but let me be, you know, clear about saying something. I'm, I'm not saying that I hate being on tour, because I don't. It's it's something that, uh, you, you practice, 
long time to, you know, to be able to get to that level to where somebody is going to want to hire you. And so I don't take that for granted. And, and I really do love being on the road even years later. And there's some people that I know that are just like, oh, I can't stand it. But I remember the first time I met uh, McCoy Tyner, he still loved it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he had been already at that point when I met him, he had been doing it for close to 35, 40 years. You know what I mean? And and he still loved being on the road. He still loved living in New York, even. I was like, you know, because some people get burnt out of that. Um, yes, you know, I've that. been doing, I, I first went on the road in 97. And, you know, I didn't look back. I, you know, I always loved it. And that's what I like to do. You get burnt out. Yes, you do. I mean, and there are definitely times, I'll admit that I'll go on the road and I'm just like, I can't wait to get back home. Because, you know, I settled into things that I like to do while I'm at home. You know what I mean? But, you know, it the like the pervert the proverbial saying goes, it beats digging ditches. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> From a I'm a not to this nine to five job. I give you that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and just another thing. I'm sorry. I keep asking extra questions. I'm sorry. Do you think there's more of a lack of interest in jazz from the youth compared to other genes? Or do you just think they're really not being exposed or don't think they're being taught it? Well, you know, here's the thing. The question that you have to ask yourself is uh, what version of jazz are you talking about? You know what I mean? Because, see, now jazz is spread to mean so many different things that I can't possibly answer that question. Because, I mean, if you're a young person and even though, you know, to his credit, Robert Glasper has been, you know, winning awards in the R&B category, despite, you know, Chris Brown hating on him, you know. Oh, that was like the best thing that happened to him. But, I like both you know, of them. I think, <laughs> You know, that certain cats that that are still producing music, you know, that is akin to what Glasper's doing are, are still in the jazz category. And so if you're a young person and you're, and you're picking up on that, and, and, and even if you're a young person and you still revere or, or perceive Robert to be a jazz artist because you might have done some digging around and known that he played with all these jazz acts before he started doing stuff with you know, the various, you know, Erica Badu's and everybody. So you still look at him as a jazz artist, just like people still look at Herbie Hancock as a jazz artist. Um, if you come up in that kind of arena, then no, I don't think that there's any loss of interest because what you know is what is is uh what is marketable right now and and what is 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 being piped through, you know, a lot of different uh, cases. Um, so, you know, that's one answer to your question. The the answer to that is no, because I think that a lot of people are are picking up on it and and are really into it. Now, if you say straight ahead, or a better question, I, no, I wouldn't even say a better question. But here's another question: is is there a lack of interest from young people in learning the history? of where the music came from and, you know, how p certain people are playing it right now, their interpretations of swing 
and 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 playing standards and whatnot, there could be uh, a lack of interest. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny it. Um, only because there's so many more distractions, man. Even people, even kids that are, you know, really legitimately into, you know, hearing some swing are still very, you know, kind of, uh, you know, all over the place because they have all these different distractions that that they're listening, that, you know, that are affecting them in a way that they don't really understand. You know, it, I, I'm not super old uh, you know I'll be 47 years old this year but I remember you know I could sit over here and 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 talk about 30 years ago with 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 authority and remember myself as a teenager and and going to buy records because that's everything that's what you did you went to the store and you bought them. There was no downloading. There was nothing else. So you bought the record and you listened to the entire thing, especially if you bought a cassette. Right? Because now, I mean, you can fast forward to what you think is your favorite song, but unless you got, I mean, it was probably better to your interest to just listen to the whole thing. And then you pick out what your favorite songs are. And then the next time you listen to it, you know how to fast forward pass the song that you don't want to hear to the one that you do want to hear. But the fact, the fact of the matter is you still spent some kind of time listening it to the whole record in depth. I mean, that doesn't exist anymore. Computers and cars don't have CD players anymore. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that tells you how I say, I wouldn't say advanced, but how forward we moved on terms of that. I do miss record stores. I remember record stores, but now I can honestly say I have access to the whole world's musical library. Yeah, I mean, clip. look, you know, I can't, I can't complain too loudly about that, right? I mean, shit, I do the same thing. You know, I've got a little Spotify. I got all these these things on my phone that I can these bells and whistles that I can go ahead and and access if I need to access something real fast. If somebody says, "Yo, man, have you checked this out?" I'm like, no, oh man, you need to go check this out real quick. Then all I know, all I need to do is just go ahead and dial it up and then bam, there it is. Yeah, that's priceless. But it's how you listen to it. Okay. I do agree on that, especially nowadays. Even what it's going to say, a Drake album. People listen to 10 seconds, they don't like it, next track. 10 seconds, next track. If they're not feeling the beat, the opening beat. So mm-hmm. I do agree with you on that. That's something that we do listen out on versus a cassette tape, which I'm laughing at because I never bought a cassette tape. I bought mm. CDs. I bought vinyls. But yeah, that whole cassette era was practically before me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And before I really let you go this time, <laughs> mm-hmm. what else do you have planned coming out for us or in the works for this year or in the future? Well, I mean, I've got the CD that we were talking about earlier, Art of Intimacy Volume 2, Is Muse, and that's coming out on March 2nd. And uh, trying to plan some uh, larger concerts with with the full band so that we can get that going. Um, And then 
Uh, next week, I'll have my uh, my third volume of my Griot books that are coming out, um, which are available for pre-order, and they'll be shipped out next week. And um, I've done interviews, extensive interviews with with a lot of artists. And in the third volume, I have people uh, interviewed Wayne Shorter and Gary Bartz and George Cables and Lenny White and Vanessa Rubin and Carl Allen and Reginald, uh, sorry, Regina Carter. Anthony Wanzi, Christian McBride, Jason Moran, Wayne Escoffrey, Tia Fuller, Camille Thurman, Marcus, uh, Marquise Hill, and Atlanta Penderhues. So that those are all the people that I interview in this uh, next volume. And that could be, you can just go to my website, nice. jeremypelt.net, and then click on the link there, and it'll take you right to where you could order the book. It's only available on my uh, through my website and not on Amazon. But it's a good read. I mean, the first volume, I had people like Wynton Marcellus, Robert Glasper, Ambrose Akimuziri, uh, Terry Lynn Carrington, Louis Nash, uh, Bertha Hope. And then the second volume, I had people like Ralph Peterson and Louis Hayes and, and Kenny Barron. And, um, you know, so... Very it, solid. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that would be on your website. I'll link yeah, that Jeremy for everybody. Hunter. And can you yeah. tell the people where to find your albums and how to contact you, et cetera? Uh, well, you can go anywhere albums are sold. I mean, if you go to uh, to Amazon, you'll you'll be able to find the CDs there or CD Baby. Um, so that's just right there. Okay. Well, sir, thank you, Honor. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Okay. And everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>